In the spring of 1997, I was at a workers' meeting, and some of you have heard this bit of the story before, but I was at a workers' meeting in Rochester, New York. I was a senior at Spring Valley Academy. I'd been a Christian for exactly one year. I was graduating from high school in just a matter of months. And I had preached, I was at a workers' meeting in Rochester, New York, speaking to all the pastors and all the teachers and all the conference workers. And I had preached on Sabbath morning. I was scheduled again to preach on Sunday morning for the very last session of their meetings. But I had this crisis of of faith. I had a panic attack. And there was another young man that was there with me that was also involved in the activities. His name was Matt. And I said to Matt, I said, you're going to have to speak on Sunday. I can't talk. I, I, I just don't want to talk. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. So I called up one of my mentors who had arranged for us to be there at uh, these workers' meetings and to speak for these things. And I said to her, I said, Hazel, I cannot um, speak tomorrow. I talked to Matt. He's going to speak. And she said to me, she said, I prayed about who's going to speak when, so you're going to speak tomorrow. I will be praying for you. And then she hung up the phone on me. It gave me no peace to hear her say that. I went into the shower. I sat on the shower floor. The, the shower was coming down on me and I just began to cry and say, God, I don't want to talk anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. And I had no peace. I didn't sleep well that night. I went, I did as I was dutifully told. And I got up the next morning and began to talk and I had prepared some words to say. And I was there speaking. And as I was sharing with these pastors and these teachers, I looked out into the congregation and I noticed that there was tears streaming down their faces. And it wasn't because the message was awful. It's because God was doing something in that moment. God was actually speaking through me. And I sense this in a special way, but, but the significance moment, the significant moment of that, uh, the significance of that moment for me was not that God was speaking through me, but, but that I heard the voice of God. And God said to me in that moment, this is what I want you to do for the rest of your life. And that day, that afternoon, I flew back from Rochester, New York to Dayton, Ohio. And I knew in my heart that God had called me to be a pastor. God in words as clear as I'm talking to you right now, changed my life by speaking into my mind, into my heart. Words matter. In part three of this sermon series that we've entitled Words Matter, we're going to talk about the words that matter most. And those are God's words that he speaks to us, that he speaks to us. Last week, we talked about our, that we should always use our words to build others up, to lift others up, to, to speak well of people, to encourage people, to, 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 to uh, speak peacefully towards others. We talked about the two weeks ago how we should address people when they are struggling with sin. And we looked at how Jesus addressed people when they're in sin, always full of respect and grace and never trying to shame them or, or, or to put them in the public square to be flogged by others. But he was always gracious with his words and the way he spoke to people that were struggling with sin. And this week, we're going to talk about the words that matter most and those are the words that God speaks to us. Now, in my experienced Christian self, my, my pastorally trained self, when I say God's words, and most of the time when I think of God's words, I immediately go to the Bible. And in a minute, we are going to talk about how important the Bible is in listening 
to the voice of God in relation to hearing God's words. But, but, but it's become too common practice for us to believe that God only speaks through the Bible. To, to believe this is to handcuff God and what he actually is communicating to you on a regular basis. In the book of Hebrews, we are going to start with a Bible text. And so if you have your Bibles, open to Hebrews chapter one and verse one. And in the book of Hebrews, in chapter one and verse one, the Bible tells us this. I'm reading from the New International Version. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. At many times and in various ways. God throughout history has spoken to humanity at many times and in various ways. Various seems, like if you read the Bible and if you know the ways that God has spoken to people throughout history, the word various seems far too subtle of a word. It feels like far too subtle of a word to describe how God has spoken to humanity at various points in history. We know that God spoke through a rainbow to Noah and his family. In fact, God still speaks to us through the rainbow is to be this perpetual sign that God loves us, that God values us. When, when we see the rainbow in the sky, we're to, our minds are be reminded of that story in the Bible when God delivered these people and, and continued the race of humanity and continued to, to guide us, but also the promise that he said, you know what? I'm never gonna destroy the whole earth with a flood again, and we're gonna somehow make it from here to the end, and we're gonna get there together, us and God. And that's what God wants us to think about when we, when we see that, the rainbow, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. He spoke to Pharaoh and all of Egypt and some of the Israelites through, through 10 plagues, 10, 10 kind of natural disasters. He spoke to Balaam through a donkey and he spoke to the Babylonians through a hand that was not attached to a human, but began to write on the wall some words that they obviously understood, many, many tekel parson or that Daniel at least understood and spoke to them in this way. The word various that God spoke in various ways. Seems like too subtle of word for such instances as that. God spoke to, of course, his people in dreams and in visions. God spoke to, to people in their times of crisis. Some of you, God has maybe spoken to you clearest when you've been in, in crisis. He spoke to King Hezekiah in, in, the, in the time of his illness. He spoke to his followers that were struggling with the consequences of sin through a snake hanging on the pole. He somehow communicated some sort of message to them in that time. God spoke to Jonah. There was this crazy storm. He's on a boat running from God and this crazy storm happens. And, and somehow in that storm, Jonah understands that God is communicating to him, you need to follow me. And he goes and he tells the shipmates what is going on. And, and of course he gets thrown overboard. And then God speaks to Jonah, Jonah, as he prayed in the belly of a well. Some extreme examples of nature speaking. But of course, God doesn't just speak in the extreme examples of nature. We, we see evidence that God sometimes speaks to us in the unextreme examples of nature. The story in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, when, when Elijah has been, been also running from God and the Lord says to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. And, and the Bible tells us, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, the Bible says. And I want you to think when I say that, of a California earthquake 
Not one of your Maryland earthquakes. No offense to you Marylanders, but I want you to think of a California earthquake. Did you know there was an earthquake just a few days ago? I was actually watching a baseball game. Uh, I was watching my Dodgers lose. Uh, it's good because now I won't pay attention to it anymore, but I was watching my Dodgers lose and, and I heard this rumble and in my mind, I actually said to myself, if I was in California, I might think that was an earthquake. But because I live where sometimes the helicopters fly over from Fort Meade and stuff over our house, I thought, well, maybe it's just a low helicopter or a low airplane or something like that. And I didn't even pay attention to it because I think for me as a Californian, uh, originally a Californian, it's, it's, I'm a Marylander now, but originally a Californian, it's in physically impossible for me to feel an earthquake below like a five. Um, I know some of you, I'll have Marylanders go, oh man, we had this earthquake. It was like 3.8. And I always remind them, we don't even get out of bed for earthquakes in California that are 3.8. But, but I imagine this earthquake was like what I've gone through, the 6.9 Big Bear earthquake or the 7.2 Landers earthquake that I went through when I lived in California. And, and there was this earthquake and the Bible says, but God was not in the earthquake. He says, then there was a fire, but God was not in the fire. And it says, and after the fire, there was a gentle whisper. That's where God was. God speaks in the various ways through the loud and the rumble and the, and the things, the extremes of nature. And God speaks through the gentle whisper, various ways. And I would guess, as we think about all the ways that God has spoken to people throughout history, I would guess that if, that if we were not so jaded to the supernatural, that he would still speak to us in some of these various ways that are very, very interesting. I heard God speak back in 1997. It was as clear as a voice to me as anything. This is what I want you to do for the rest of your life. And what I was doing in that moment was I was talking to these workers, to these leaders about how much Jesus had meant to me and how much Jesus had changed my life and, and how I hoped that they as workers would, would not just go through the motions. Cause by the way, I grew up in a worker's home. So I know that you can go through the motions and have no Jesus at times in your life but how you can go through the motions. You can go through the motions and have no Jesus. And so I was imploring them to love Jesus with all of their heart and with all their soul. And Jesus said to me, clearly, this is what you are going to do for the rest of your life. And so I signed up to be a pastor because, hey, that's what pastors do. They tell people about Jesus. I found out that they do some other things as well that maybe aren't quite as fun as that, but they do other things. Since that time, I've not heard Jesus speak to me in that way, with that clarity of voice. But, but I heard it once, and when God speaks to you once like that, you never, ever forget it. It's enough to keep you going. But, but God has spoke to me in different ways throughout my life and in history. And he tries to speak to all of us all the time in various ways. I know people that say, God never speaks to me or I never hear from God, but, but, but God is actually trying to speak to us at all times in various ways. The question is, are we listening for God to speak to us? In the book, Steps of Christ, an amazing book. If you have not read it, I encourage you to do so. It's one of the few books that I've read multiple times over and over. There is this statement. There is this statement in there that references how God speaks to us, one of the ways in which God speaks to us. She wrote, nature speaks to our senses, the author wrote, nature speaks to our senses without ceasing. Nature speaks to our senses without ceasing. 
The listening ear can hear, the listening ear, not the ear that's not listening, but the listening ear can hear and understand the communications of God through the things of nature, the green fields, the lofty trees, the buds and the flowers, the passing cloud, the falling rain, the babbling brook, the glories of the heavens speak to our hearts and invite us to become acquainted with him who made them all. God speaks to us through nature at all times, the Bible says, if we're listening. God speaks to us through music. We've been spoken to by the God of the universe through the music that we've heard today. You are are mouthpieces for God today. This is a gift. You should should recognize how important, how, how high that responsibility is. This is a gift. We hear God speak to us through music. It is one of the most effective means from the book Education is one of the most effective means of impressing the heart with spiritual truth. How often to the soul hard pressed and ready to despair, despair, memory recalls some word of God's, the long forgotten burden of a childhood song. Man, we can hear a song from our childhood and it can take us back to this, this spiritual innocence that we have and draw us in and, and, and begin to nurture us. I am a huge fan, as you've heard me say, those of you that have been here all eight years that I've been here, I am a huge fan of uh, Southern Gospel and, and Gaither Vocal Band. I've been trying to get it up here for those of the rest of you, but we still haven't been able to get it up here. But I love Gaithers. My wife doesn't understand why I love the Gaithers. She thinks it's a little bit old music for me, that I'm a little too young to be liking it so much. But, but it was... In, in my childhood, those were the, the, the music that was on in my house and those were the framing of some of my, 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 my hearing of, of God, hearing God. And so it draws me in and, and, the Bible, and, and again, so there's this thing about music, music. The Bible in the book of Psalms, the largest book by chapters, number of chapters in our Bible are songs They weren't first written for us to read, but they were written so that people could sing them and hear and and communicate with the word of God. But continuing on with this statement, the long forgotten burden of a childhood song, it can lift temptations and they lose their power. Life will take on new meaning and new purpose and courage and gladness are imparted to other souls. The value of songs as a means of education should never be lost sight of. Let there be singing in the home of songs of songs that are sweet and pure, and there will be fewer words of censure and more of cheerfulness and hope and joy. Let there be singing in the school. The pupils will be drawn closer to God. They'll be drawn closer to their teachers. They'll be drawn closer to one another as a part of the religious service. Singing is as much an act of worship as is prayer. That's why it's so important what we sing. A few weeks ago, Michael was leading our staff worship our, our minister of music, Michael, was leading our staff worship, and we rotate through the pastoral team of who leads the worship. And Michael, for the worship, brought us into this room, and he walked over to the piano, and he pulled out a hymnal, and he began to play on the piano. And, and he played a little something, and he said, when, when a, 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 a songwriter or a composer wants to ask a question, they'll, they'll often play notes like this to cue in our brains that there's a question coming. He said, when, when, when they want to lift our eyes to like a pinnacle of the story, when they're trying to elevate us to think about the divine, some of these, these, these spiritual hymn writers, they will, they will play these notes in order to, to draw our attention to that. 
And before we had even sung a word, we all as a pastoral staff, just listening to this playing and him explain to us the meaning of this music, God was speaking to us in those notes that were being punched out on his fingers and coming through this inanimate object. God speaks to us in so many ways. God speaks to us through our friends and through the conversations that we have with others. I was visiting Hedy Kahn. Some of you may know, or some of you probably, many of you probably don't know, but Hedy Kahn was in a serious car accident up in Canada. She was uh, driving to a restaurant and a, actually a police officer on a chase hit their car, shattered tons of bones in her body. And, and uh, she, she eventually got airlifted down here and she's uh, still in rehab, keep her in prayer. She's in rehab at White Oak Hospital. But I was there at the hospital with him and, and Al and Hetty, every few sentences, they kept saying to me, you know, value every minute you have with those that you love. You know, we need to appreciate every minute that we have. We need to take advantage of every minute that we have. God is so good to give us extra time in this world. And they just kept saying these things. Hetty looked at me. She goes, Chad, it's, I'm, I'm so grateful to God for, for sparing my life. She said, five years ago, Chad, last time I was in the hospital, you came visit me and I was dealing with cancer. And now here I am. And she goes, but God spared me again. And she's just giving praise to God. And as I was, they said it so many times, you know, like a good preacher, how you say it enough times and people go home and they just have that things stuck in their head. I wish I could get Chad out of my head. I've been hearing him all week that, that I was driving home and I hear them in my mind saying this. And I, and God said, you know, you need to appreciate the people in your life. And it was an opportunity for me as I was driving home, just to say, thank you, God, for the people and help me to value them and love them and appreciate them and to not miss a single moment. God used their testimony to speak to me. God uses all kinds of things to speak to us. God may speak to us in things that we already know and through people that we talk to all the time, but, but for some reason, just something they say in that moment strikes us. Christina spoke to me on the behalf of God to my heart the other day. We were having our connect group, our small group, and we were doing Bible marking in our connect group uh, with the kids in our group. And, and the last time we met, we were going over the topic of prayer. And so we were studying the passages about prayer and then we mark them. And then the kids tell us what they think they mean. And we talk about that. And Christina said this one simple statement that I've heard, that I've said myself, that I know to be true. But in that moment of it coming out of Christina's mouth, uh, God, God spoke to me. Christina said, Let's remember when we're studying about prayer that we need to remember that prayer is not only that we're talking to God, but also that we are listening to God. And she said, my mom used to encourage me to always journal things down so that I could take time to write down what God was saying to me. And my wife is still faithful in doing that. She said she's been doing that since fifth grade, just journaling what God says to her after her devotional time. She does that still. She said those two sentences, one statement that I know to be true, but God said to me in that moment, God said to me in that moment, to my heart, Chad, you need to spend more time listening for my answers in prayer. And, and by the way, I, I was reminded of that again this morning because I woke up, I said my prayers, I read Bill Knott's little grace note that he sends me every week that I love, and I read that, and, 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 then, I, and then I was getting out of bed, and God said to me, you're going to talk today about listening to the voice of God, and you prayed, and you read this note, and then you haven't even paused to see if there's anything else I want to communicate to you. And by the way, you're mentioning your wife's thing 
And it's like, God used that statement by Christina again, just in this morning. So I took a little bit extra longer shower to, uh, to listen to God a little bit longer. This is how God does these things. The point is that God speaks to us in all kinds of ways. You know, sometimes as pastors, we say, well, God only speaks of your through the word, but God speaks to us in all kinds of ways. This statement from Christ's object lessons, I didn't have it in my sermon this morning. So this is a bonus. Nick Miller, Dr. Nick Miller came up to me afterwards and said, Hey, Chad, this is a great quote. You need to have this. He didn't tell me to put it in my sermon, but I'm putting it in my sermon. The great storehouse of, of truth is the word of God. And you go, okay, yeah, the word of God, the great storehouse of truth is the word of God. But then listen to what she wrote. The written word, the book of nature, the book of experience in God's dealing with human life through his own appointed, through God's own appointed channels, the Lord will impart a knowledge of himself to every single seeker. God doesn't speak to me, Pastor Chad. God is speaking to you all the time. Are you listening? Are you listening to what he wants to say to you? Are you listening to what he wants to say to you? Now, you notice as I've walked through all this that I've yet to mention the Bible, and it's not because the Bible is not important. In fact, I'm going to share with you just how important I think the Bible is in this. But we are limited. Again, this is what I want us to understand. We are limited if we only think that God speaks through the Bible. We need to have our ears open to God speaking at all times and in all various ways. So then what role does the Bible play? Isaiah chapter eight and verse 20 says, consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. And Psalm 119 and verse 160 says, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Combining these two texts, as I understand them, anything I think I'm learning from music, anything I think I'm learning from from nature, anything I think I'm learning from my friends, anything I think I'm learning from the experiences of my life, any of these things, what I should do is I should measure them by the truths of Scripture. And if they speak according to this word, then they are voices that I should listen to. I test them all according to the Bible. And if anything speaks in a way that is contrary to this book, contrary to its laws, contrary to its principles, then it is not the voice of God. It is another voice, the voice of the devil. The word of the God, the word of God is the key that opens our ears and gives us understanding to interpret all the words God wants to speak to us even beyond this book. If, if I'm not spending some time in the word, then, then maybe I'm missing what God wants to say to me in nature. If I'm not spending time in this book, maybe then I'm missing some of what God wants to say to me through music or, or through a friend or through just even an experience of life. One of those other books that God wants to communicate. Maybe I am missing that. You see, the Bible, I believe, for a Christian is the key by which we hear more clearly the other voices that God is speaking, how God is speaking to us. Let me illustrate this with a local bit of history. This is a local bit of history. And I'm going to dare say that the majority of you don't know about this history at all. In Washington, D.C., there is a memorial 
that I would guess that most of you have never noticed. In fact, I would guarantee, and I was right in first service, after I say it, I'll ask you, but I was right in first service, no one has ever planned a trip to Washington, D.C. to see this memorial that I'm going to tell you about. No one. There is a plaque on this, and it's the oldest memorial, and it's, I would say, the most important memorial in all of Washington, D.C. And yet I would guess that most of you don't know about this memorial. At the spot where Constitution Avenue turns into Theodore Roosevelt Bridge, there's like a little grassy area, just like a little grassy area. I run in this area. I didn't even know it was there. I've passed it many times. I've run across the Theodore Roosevelt Bridge and then around Theodore Roosevelt Island then back around the bridge. And then I run up to Mount Vernon. I, I've done this many times. Never knew this was there until I was reading this local DC author. But at the spot where Constitution Avenue turns into Theodore Roosevelt Bridge, there is this well that is in this ground. There's a, an unassuming well with a manhole cover over it, and the manhole cover is locked, so you cannot get down inside. But if you look through the holes in the top of the manhole cover, you will see a ladder. If the light's right, you will see a ladder going down into the ground, into the well. And at times based on how high the water level is and based on if the sun's just hitting it right. If you look through those holes, you may be able to see sticking out of the water in the bottom of the well, a portion of a rock protruding from the water at the base of this ladder. That rock is Braddock's Rock. Back in April 4, 1755, the British general George Braddock anchored his boats in what is now Washington, D.C., to pick up a new recruit by the name of George Washington. You might have heard of him. He became one of the founders, of course, of our nation, our first president, the hero of our country. What does this have to do with the importance of this rock for what we are saying? That rock was known as Braddock's Rock, where the General Braddock anchored his ships. He anchored his ships there off the Potomac River. Now, if you go there, you'll say, wait a second, how could he anchor his ships off the Potomac River there? Because it's over a thousand feet now from Braddock's Rocks to the edge of Potomac's River, Potomac River, the Potomac River. But of course, that's because of erosion and because they filled in some things to expand the, the bridges and the highways and the city and everything else. That is the origin story of this which is the oldest landmark in our nation's capital. How many of you have gone down and spent time at Braddock's Rock? One person, nobody else. God bless them. But no one else has gone down. You ever been to Braddock's Rock, any of you? Don't, if you go, most of you just drive past it. If you go, make sure you're okay. Because, make sure you look both ways for traffic because it's just this little piece of grass and then a well right there. There is a plaque there, so you, you'll see that your pastor was not lying. But, but this is the origin story of Braddock's Rock. That's where he anchored his ship as he picked up George Washington. But, but that's not the significance. That's not the significance of this rock. Here is the significance of this rock. On old maps, on old DC maps, you can, you can look this up and you can see it yourself. Braddock's stone is inscribed on those maps as the key of keys because it was at this rock that they established the coordinate system for the entire city. 
The, the, the city, the layout, the structure of the entire city was based on the coordinates from this, the, this rock. Every principal meridian, every baseline were measured from that initial point. Y'all, I believe that the Bible is the Christian's key of keys. It is, the merid, is, the, it is from what every meridian point that we have is, is based off of, is the baseline that, it, that measures all the things that we hear in this world. This should be our key of keys. The Bible is my starting point. It is, it is my final authority. I need to listen to God speaking in nature. I need to listen to God speaking through music. I need to listen to God speaking through the circumstances of my life. I need to listen to God speaking to people that I know and people that I don't know. I need to be in tune enough with Jesus to hear the Lord speaking and the experiences of everything going on in my life. I should never say God's not speaking to me because all around me, through the book of nature, through the written word, through the book of life and life's experiences, God is speaking to us without ceasing. But my foundation, my starting point, and I am more able to hear God clearly when I know that the Bible is my key of keys. But I want to be even more specific than this, because I think this is important. And for a people that love how much we know sometimes, Adventists, right? Adventists, we love how much we know sometimes. We love that we can explain things in Daniel and Revelation. I made that joke about 2300 day prophecy and a bunch of you chuckled because you know what that was. If I made that joke in some other places, they'd be like, what? 2300 days? What, is, what does Antiochus Epiphanes have to do with this? And we would say, no, no, and give them all our knowledge. We, we, we love all our, our knowledge. But I want you to hear what Hebrews 1 says. In the past, God spoke, through our spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom, he, through whom he also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Here, here's, what I want you to, here's what I want you to hear. It's not just about having the Bible be our key of keys and I have all of this knowledge. It's when I understand the Bible and what the Bible is trying to communicate with me about Jesus Christ, about Jesus, about our Savior. My starting point is the Word of God, but only to the degree that the Word of God illuminates to me Jesus, my Savior. God has always spoken through various means and in various ways, and, and many misinterpreted what he was trying to say because all he was trying to do is to tell them, Jesus is coming soon. He's going to be born and he's going to die for you. He's going to live for you and he's going to die for you. And now we read the Bible and we find all this knowledge, but all Jesus is trying to do is say, I'm coming soon and I'm going to take you to be with me. And he wants us to understand those things. Jesus himself told us that this is ultimately the point of the Bible. He said in John chapter five that you study the word of God because you think in these words you have life. But he said, all of these testify of me. In John chapter five, and verse 46, again, he said to them, he said, you do not actually believe in Moses because if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me because what Moses wrote about was me, Jesus Christ. In other words, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all those books are about Jesus. 
My son Levi, I told you all this a few weeks ago when I baptized him. My son Levi, when I asked him what has been the hardest book that he's been reading in the Bible, and he said, Leviticus was the hardest, dad. And I said, I said, oh, it's kind of tough to understand. He goes, no, there's just so much blood. My son Levi, I call him Leviticus, so I don't, you know, but, but even in that very bloody book, what we will understand is that all of those sacrifices are a representation of the fact that we need the blood of Jesus to cover us. Everything in the Bible is to point us to Jesus Christ. In John chapter one and verse 45, when Philip went to Nathanael and told him about Jesus, he said, come, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law that the prophets also wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In Luke chapter two and verse 44 and 45, Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of the prophets, in the law of Moses, in the prophets and in the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand scriptures. I hear God speaking to me in all kinds of avenues, in all kinds of ways, but, but my foundation for understanding these words is in the Bible and in the degree to which I am open to the Bible, illuminating the truth about my Savior and your Savior, Jesus Christ. That is why you are to read the Bible, to know Jesus. That is why you are to listen for the voice of God speaking to you in nature so that you can know Jesus. That is why you are to listen to the songs and sing the songs so that you can hear and know Jesus. That is why you are to hear God speaking through you through the, just the circumstances of life so that you can know Jesus. It is not just for knowledge. It is not just for experience. It is to know Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the words that matter most in this world are the words that God speaks to us every single day through various means. We recognize and we fully understand those words only to the degree that we are spending time with our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And brothers and sisters, if we listen and if we are listening then those words that we hear will become life transforming in your heart, in your character, in the direction that your lives go. If we listen next week, will be eight years that Christy and I have been here at Spencerville church in Maryland. Don't worry. I'm not going to announce that we're going. Some of you might be sad about that. Some of you might be happy about that. Either way, we're not going anywhere. But eight years ago, we came here and we had no intention of ever moving here. But I was in California and I was praying to God because I felt like my spiritual life was struggling. I felt like I was struggling and I was, and I was, and I was just dealing with some, some, some sin in my life. I was dealing with uh, the, the, the arrogance of a, of a rapidly growing church, the success of a church plant. I was dealing with the success of various calls that were coming in and I was not being a good dad. I was not being a good husband. We had a child care. We had a person that washed our kids and my youngest son, Levi, if I was in the room and that other person was in the room, if I took my kid from that person, they would cry because my son, Levi, did not want to be with me, but would rather be with this person that they spent more time with. And I was praying to God to help me. 
and that I needed a change and that I need something. And, and, and I began to read in the scriptures. I began to read in the scriptures about Abraham, who was called out of what was comfortable. And by the way, California was very comfortable. My parents were members of my church. Uh, my sister was a member of my church. My grandparents were members of my church. Christina's family lived an hour and 45 minutes away from our church. I was very comfortable in California. I began to pray, God, you need to do something. You need to either change me or you need to change our situation or, or something. And, and we were getting these calls and we kept saying, no, that's not God. That's not God. That's not God. That's not God. And then they said, will you come out and consider us here at Spencerville? And Christine and I came here to this church and we were here two days. We were here two days and Christine and I looked at each other and we said, yeah, we're not moving here. I know you thought I was going to say something else. I don't know. We said, we are not moving to this place. This is not a place for us. This doesn't fit us. Yada, yada. And I said, well, Christine, we got to make it through the rest of time and go through the motions. So we'll do the thing, you know, whatever. And, uh, and then we'll go home and we'll call them back and say, no, thank you. Just as we had done to other places at that point in time. And there was a meeting that night and I said to Christina, she said, do I have to go to this meeting? I said, no, the conference said you don't need to be there, but I'll go and I'll listen and whatever. And she said to me, okay, take me back to the hotel and I'll take you back. And then she said, wait, I should probably go. And she said, because what if something happens and only you know about it? <laughs> I said, okay. Now you have to remember in my mind, I'm thinking that God's telling me that we're, there, there, there's a change coming. I've been reading these passages from the scripture about Abraham and him moving and all these things. So we go to this meeting and, and, uh, it was, it was the search committee telling us about why we would be good for this church and why they want us to come here. And some of you were there, Mark Noble was there, Debbie, not you were on that, some others, whatever. And, and it was a very tearful experience. My wife starts crying. She starts trying to convince them not to hire me. She says to them, no, I don't think you understand. Chad like changes everything. Like you're going to like, I mean, you're going to be worn out. Like he's always got ideas and like, you don't want this guy to come to your church. Like, I mean, you guys are saying you want more evangelism. No, Chad, like when he says that, he's not talking about a program. He's talking about like everything. He's going to talk about it all the time. You're going to be like, please say no. And they still said, yes, that's what we want. Although some of them a few weeks later said, we didn't know quite that's what we wanted, but okay, you're here with us now. We left that meeting. I had sensed that God was doing something in that meeting and that God wanted us to come here. But I will tell you that spiritually, even where I was at, I was saying, is this really from God? But my wife, who I praise Jesus for, has always had such a strong, consistent relationship with Jesus Christ. And her devotional life was just amazing. And as I was being a pastor that was successful, and traveling all over the place, she was focusing on Christ. But so we're driving back. And so I'm sensing that, but I'm like saying, no way God will call me unless he tells Christina. Now I'm not going to say anything to Christina because I had already told her one time we were having a prayer and she was praying like, God, if you want us to go, we'd have to find a house with like a pool and all. I said, you can't pray for a pool. And she said, she said, it's my fleece. I will pray for whatever I want to. 
And uh, I was like, all right, all right. Um, and we're driving back to our hotel. Um, I guess the conference was unaware that there are hotels closer, which was all the way up one, off of 103. Uh, so um, we had to drive all the way up 103. And we're driving up 103. The car is silent. I don't have the radio on. It's completely black in the car. And all of a sudden, I see Christina's phone light up. And she opens it. And she presses a button. And she calls someone. And I hear Christina go, <gasps> and she said, we're leaving. That was it. That was it. God had spoken to her even through a church committee. Some of you believe it or not. Through a church committee. God, and, and when she said that, to me, it was affirmed because of what I've been studying in the scriptures and what I've been sensing from God in the scriptures and in some of my prayer time. And, and God spoke in that moment. And, and throughout that weekend, I see that that's how God speaks because Christina said, I'm not going to go to this meeting. Okay, I'll take it back to the hotel. Wait, what if something happens? What if God says something to you in that meeting? She was the same way I was. She's like, I'm not going to trust you. <laughs> I got to trust God. If you listen for God, he is always speaking. And it may be through your wife. <gasps> A few weeks later, I said to Christina, I said, uh, were you ever going to ask me about this decision? Uh, that joke didn't go over well, so don't ever do that. And <laughs> she did not like that. But folks, when you listen to God, he will change your heart. He will change your character. I will tell you that these eight years have been the greatest um, growing experience of my life for the glory of Jesus Christ. And I'm a better dad. I think my sons will say that. I coach their sports. I'm there. I'm present. My son Levi will now hug me. I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. I'm a better pastor because I listen to the voice of God speaking through my wife, calling her mom. We're leaving. But if you listen to the voice of God, he will change your heart. He'll change your character. And he may just move you to a place that you never expected in an amazing way. And you know what? You'll be happy about it because it's with Jesus. And wherever you go with Jesus, that is where you want to be. So this week, I want to encourage you to listen for Jesus speaking to you. Yes, in the Bible, but I want you to encourage you to listen to other places. And, and I'd like to encourage you to do something else. Don't just walk out of here and say, okay, yeah, I'll listen. Try writing it down. Write it down. Write it down. Write it down. If you want, share with me. I'd love to hear how God is speaking to you through things beyond even the word of God and what God may be saying to you. And we can pray about those things together. But God is so good, and, and, and I agree with Ellen White that God is always trying to speak to us through his many books. I just want to encourage you to listen and allow your life to be changed always for the better when we're listening for Jesus. Lord, help us, I pray, to listen to the words that matter most, your words. I thank you how you've led in my life in the past and in the present. And I thank you that as long as I continue to listen for your voice, through your word, your written word, through the words of nature, through the words of music, through the words of this congregation, and so many others. Lord, I pray that as we listen to those words, that we can continue to gain trust in your voice. 
and to be like your sheep who you said, the sheep hear my voice and know it. Lord, help us to be those type of sheep. In your name I pray. Amen.